Welcome back to the Insightful Thinkers Podcast. Until around 12,000 years ago, humans lived by hunting, gathering, collecting, scavenging, and fishing. With the domestication of plants and animals, though, vast new dimensions for cultural evolution suddenly became possible. But why did our ancestors decide to forego hunting and gathering and to take up forage or to take up farming, excuse me, after so many years of uh, successful hunting and gathering? That's the problem we're going to try to tackle today in this agricultural revolution episode. The toughest background research I've had to do so far, I searched far and wide for articles on with concise details on the agricultural revolution and it was actually pretty tough to find so all credit to the three primary sources of this episode barker 2009 the agricultural revolution in prehistory diamond 2017 guns germs and steel and uh Svisvero and tisdale 2014 the neo the neolithic revolution in human societies diverse origins and development paths Let's start off simply. This episode is going to get complex, you guys. Stick with me. Uh, the problem of solving why the ev- agricultural revolution happened is is not an easy one to solve. And uh, But let's start off simply. <laughs> we'll go from simple to complex. So what was the agricultural revolution? It was the transition of many human cultures during the Neolithic period from a lifestyle of hunting and gathering to one of agriculture. When and where did this happen? Around ten to 12,000 years ago, as we mentioned, in the Fertile Crescent of the Middle East. Uh, so th- this is where multiple groups of people started to develop agriculture independently, kind of. And this is when the Agricultural Revolution, also known as the Neolithic Revolution, because it occurred during the Neolithic period, uh, the agricultural revolution was likely a series of revolutions that occurred at many different time points in many different places. It wasn't just one, one inventor who created agriculture and then it spread. It was probably happening in many different areas at many different times, but around 10 to 12,000 years ago is when it really started. Why did it happen? This is what we're going to try to tackle here. So what were the exact factors that tipped the balance from hunting gathering towards agriculture? This question continues to be debated by archaeologists and anthropologists, even some economists. Um, One reason for this question remaining unsettled is because so many different factors have been decisive in different parts of the world. We, we touched on the fact that societies uh, living in different parts of the world may have started agriculture at different times. They might have all had different reasons for starting it. Um, societies in all parts of the world started to engage in different kinds of agriculture independently of one another and in many different ways because... It, there were not the same factors in every environment to to start them on the trend towards agriculture. So they were really just trying to find solutions uh, for living in the transformed landscapes that they were encountering. But what were these transformed landscapes? Uh, the climate is is one thing that transformed the landscape during the Neolithic period. So The first clear evidence for farming is at about 12,000 years ago. Around this time, global temperatures began to rise at the end of the Pleistocene, which is the Ice Age, and 
the transition to the modern climatic era, the Holocene, began. Because of this, a variety of agricultural systems based on cultivated plants started to replace hunting and gathering in almost every corner of the globe. So what was causing, well, not what was causing the climate change, but what caused the climate change to shift people towards agriculture. Well, the more stable and wetter climates of the Holocene were favorable to photosynthesis, making it easier to grow plants. Uh, climate changes at the end of the Pleistocene and the Fertile Crescent greatly expanded the area of habitats uh, where wild cereals could be harvested. Those wild cereal harvests were precursors for the domestication of the very earliest crops. Uh, wheat and barley were the earliest crops, and this was happening in the Fertile Crescent. So these climatic shifts around 10,000 years ago uh, were responsible for, for creating a wetter climate, and it was, it was uh, better for plants to grow. So this maybe at least made humans start to see all these plants growing and maybe gave them the idea that, hey, maybe we can control the growth of these plants. They were so abundant and it almost made it a little bit easier with these climate changes. Whereas low-ranked resources like plants became more abundant during this time, higher-ranked resources like big-game meat became less abundant and even extinct in some areas. So while there are more and more plants for these humans to start using and domesticating, there are less and less big game animals. You look at the woolly mammoth, you don't see that thing around today. This is, you see the movie, The Ice Age. This is the age of these, these big game, this big game meat. They started to disappear and plants started to rise up. Most large mammal species became extinct in North and South America at the end of the Pleistocene, and some became extinct in Eurasia and Africa, either because of climate changes or because of the rise in skill and numbers of human hunters. So one way or another, these, uh, these large mammal species started to just started to die out. Examples of less animals leading to humans adopting agricultural practices exist in a couple places. Um, it was only after the first Polynesian settlers had exterminated moas. Uh, decimate moas are like this, they kind of look like an ostrich, I believe. It's a big, large bird that's now extinct. It was only after the Polynesians had exterminated these decimated seals uh, and exterminated birds that they finally started to intensify their food domestication. So this is kind of evidence towards the fact that as these large animals started to decrease, this is when uh, the agricultural revolution really started. Similarly, a possible contributing factor to the rise of animal domestication in the Fertile Crescent was the decline in abundance of wild gazelles that had previously been a major source of meat for hunter-gatherers in that area. So also in the Fertile Crescent, you see the same thing occurring as in New Zealand. Less gazelles, now we need to, now this coincides with the agricultural revolution starting. So uh, these climate changes were changing the abundance of, of different foods. And, uh, and, and this seems to have sparked the agricultural revolution. Because of this climate change, there were increased benefits uh, of investing into obtaining food from plants rather than from animals. That's really the conclusion you can draw from the, how the climate shifts sparked the agricultural revolution. What about sedentism? 
Sedentism is the practice of settling down and maintaining a habitation in one location for a long time. So the sedentary lifestyle, like all of us live, we're not nomadic. We stay in our homes. And uh, this has been identified as a critical change in behavior of many societies in the late Pleistocene and early Holocene. So, but, but there has been much debate about whether sedentism was the cause or was the effect of early or the 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 consequence of early agriculture so what came first a sedentary lifestyle by humans or agriculture or was it a bit of both and this is why there's so much complexity with this agricultural revolution of these chicken and egg scenarios it's hard to pinpoint which one came first and they may have been occurring at the same time What's what are the theories for agriculture as a result of sedentism? So sedentism leading to agriculture. Well, the regions where agriculture first began were all places characterized by rich marine resources. This rich food supply meant that people were already living in large permanent communities. A sedentary way of life supported by the plentiful resources of an aquatic zone seems then to have contributed to early experiments with domestication. So this sedentary lifestyle might have gave increased com given increased comfort to people and then it gave them the freedom to kind of explore and experiment with domestication. So sedentism may have developed uh, in response to improvement in availability of food sources in the Holocene and this sedentism may have sparked experimentation with domesticating plants and animals. Now, what about sedentism as a result of agriculture? Maybe agriculture came before a sedentary way of life. Well, the intensive exploitation of rich marine resources certainly did sustain sedentary foraging communities in the early Holocene, as we talked about, where these communities had all of these, these rich marine resources to their disposal, so they already lived a sedentary way of life. And certainly that may have been the case. But at the same time, sedentism occurred after the development of the first uses of domestic plants and animals in many cases. So maybe the sedentary lifestyle is a result, not a cause of the agricultural revolution. And then again, just one more layer of complexity, there may be no relation between sedentism and the agricultural revolution. There are many instances of foraging societies becoming more sedentary and also instances of these societies becoming less sedentary regardless of if they had anything to do with agriculture. So maybe it doesn't have anything to do with agriculture. In fact, many early agricultural societies were more mobile uh, than they had been as hunter-gatherers. So they were, maybe, <laughs> it could be the case that there's no relation between this sedentary way of life and agriculture because sometimes societies who started uh, agricultural practices became more nomadic than they were even while they were hunter-gatherers. So that's a difficult one. We don't know if this sedentary way of life is the cause of the agricultural revolution or if it's an effect of the agricultural revolution but there is some kind of relationship there so we've talked about climate change we've talked about uh, the sedentary way of life now the third one here is population growth and this is equally as complex but bear with me you guys so in all parts of the world where adequate evidence is available archaeologists find evidence of rising population densities associated with the appearance of food production 
all around the world, you see this graph, you can picture the graph of um, as, as uh, increased food production goes, so does population density. But again, we have a chicken and egg problem. Did a rise in human population density force people to turn to food production? Or did food production permit a rise in population density? It's not entirely clear, but what are the arguments for the agricultural revolution leading to increased population? Well, food production does tend to lead to increased population densities. That's just been found in the historical record. It yields more edible calories per acre than does hunting and gathering. With agriculture, you could grow in one acre, you can grow a whole bunch, I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a farmer, but you could grow all sorts of plants and all sorts of uh, edible calories uh, in that one acre. Whereas in a hunting and gathering lifestyle, there might not even be any animals in that area. So if there are no animals, then you're getting zero, pretty much zero calories. Well, aside from the foraging you're doing and finding wild plants, you're not getting many calories in that acre. So it does seem that food production leads to increased population density. So maybe it's agricultural revolution first, or then increased population. In hunter-gatherer societies, women needed a gap of at least three or four years between children uh, because multiple highly dependent babies are just not compatible with a mobile lifestyle. If the men were always going out to hunt and, oh, now the, there are no more animals here, now we got to move up here. Having a lot of kids is just not compatible with this nomadic hunter-gatherer lifestyle. So they had to... When the agricultural revolution started, no, none of these limitations existed anymore because, as we talked about with the sedentary lifestyle that started around the time of the agricultural revolution, uh, they lived in permanent settlements. So, and since farmers need to settle close to their fields, it now became possible to have children much more frequently. So, maybe because they were in these agricultural practices, uh, that allowed that allowed population density to increase and that allowed women to have more children because now they're just in a sedentary lifestyle they're not moving all over the place but then again we don't even know if the agricultural revolution led to sedentism remember we talked about the chicken and egg <laughs> i'm sorry guys if this is too complex but i'll try to get it across as well as i can we talked about how we don't even know if the agricultural revolution led to sedentism in the first place. So this explanation only holds true if the agricultural revolution does lead to sedentism. Then you can say for a fact that, okay, agricultural revolution led to a sedentary way of life and people settling down. And then that allowed the women to have more kids and the population increased. But if we can't even uh, map that, that connection between uh, uh, or, or figure out the chicken and egg scenario between sedentism and the agricultural revolution. We don't fully know if sedentism uh, or, or the agricultural revolution led to the sedentary lifestyles, which led to population growth. So these arguments don't really even hold true if that initial relationship doesn't hold true. Um, but overall, this argument is on the side of, of population growth follows uh, the beginnings of farming. According to this argument, agriculture meant more food, 
and more reliable food supplies and a sedentary lifestyle, and this enabled human populations to grow. Based on how uh, <laughs> how shaky or uh, this argument already already sounds, you see why there's arguments on the other side of how increased population may have led to the agricultural revolution. So the opposing view has been that a growth in population stimulated by other factors forced people to become farmers because rising populations meant the necessity for more efficient means of food production if starvation was to be avoided. So uh, this is the idea of necessity breeds invention. So this idea is that the agricultural practices didn't just start out of nowhere. They started because it was necessary to start them. And if they didn't start them, they would have died out because they needed to figure out a way to create uh, more calories per acre. And, and, and there was just, they, it demanded, the, these population increases demanded that more efficient means of food production were initiated. In fact, human population densities were gradually rising already throughout the late Pleistocene, long before the agricultural revolution, people say, or people know now. So, and this was thanks to improvements in, in human technology for gathering and processing wild foods. So this idea is that as population densities rose, food production became favored because it provided the increased food outputs needed to feed everyone. So before when you're hunting, hunting and gathering, you're gathering wild plants, wild foods, that's not enough now because population densities are increasing. So now we got to produce our own food to keep up with this increase in population density. It's something of a really, it's something of a positive feedback cycle. It's, it is a bit of the chicken and a bit of the egg. They both might have arisen at a similar time. It could be the idea that a gradual rise in population densities impelled people to obtain more food initially. But then once we started to produce more food and become sedentary, then this could shorten the birth spacing and produce even more people. And then this required even more food. So yes, uh, we initially might, uh, growing populations might have led to the uh, agricultural practices, but then these agricultural practices also led to increasingly uh, growing populations too. So this is the maybe the feedback cycle that we got caught in that kept us uh, as an agricultural society. And frankly, it's built everything uh, to where we are today. You can just go to the grocery store to get all of your food. This is because people are producing it in agriculture. Uh, otherwise, as a hunter, if we're hunting and gathering, I'm not doing this podcast right now. You're not listening to this podcast. There's no time for that. We got to go search for food. So this has built the societies we're in today. Um, the issues of the population increases, the agricultural revolution may have produced are, do exist though. Like it, it's not perfect what this agricultural revolution spawned. And this is the thing, because human population densities rose slightly more steeply than did the availability of food, the food producers were actually less nourished than hunter-gatherers whom they succeeded, despite getting more calories per acre than the hunter-gatherers. So yeah, they got more calories but uh, per acre in what they were growing, but each person individually wasn't actually getting nourished as well as the hunter-gatherers, and we still aren't really today. So this is the critique in Sapiens. You've all know Harari's book, 
um, that I'm sure all of you have, have heard of. Uh, one of the most popular uh, history books ever at this point. And, and he has a criticism of the agricultural revolution in there about how we were actually better off when we were hunter-gatherers. Um, and there is some truth to that because it wasn't perfect what the agricultural revolution spawned. But we will talk about some of the great effects of the revolution and how it kind of led to, and we'll talk about that soon enough. We're almost done the episode by now, but um, we'll talk about how it did allow uh, non-food specialists to exist. So if we're all hunter-gatherers, we're all hunter-gatherers. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm on my own here. I got to go search for uh, some, some, some meats, <laughs> some food with, with, uh, a group of other people. I can't be doing this. I can't be reading. <laughs> so it created, because now we can just devote some people to agriculture. You guys produce the food. We do all this other work. This is a, a, a cool effect of the agricultural revolution that gave us the time and the resources to build society. We'll talk about that later. You guys, Let's talk about now how the agricultural revolution propagated from the Middle East and from the, the Yangtze River in China. Uh, the very first farmers on each continent could not have chosen farming consciously, obviously, because there were no nearby farmers for them to observe. You're the first ones you have to... It is a certain invention in a way uh, that was happening in different locations. But once food production did arise in one part of a continent, neighboring hunter-gatherers could see the result and then they would make conscious decisions about choosing to farm or not. So in some cases, the hunter-gatherers adopted the neighboring system of food production, or at least some elements of it. And in other cases, they rejected food production entirely and remained hunter-gatherers for a very long time. Uh, now, very few hunter-gatherer tribes still exist, but a lot of them held out and did not adopt this agriculture. Not all the necessary agricultural techniques were developed either. Uh, within a very short amount of time in the early days of the agricultural revolution, and not all the wild plants and animals were domesticated simultaneously either. Cows and chickens and pigs and all of these animals, it wasn't like all of a sudden they were all domesticated. That took a long time too. So it slowly uh, propagated. It took thousands of years actually to shift from complete dependence on wild foods to a diet with very few wild foods. In early stages of the agricultural revolution, people simultaneously collected wild foods and also raised and cultivated ones. As reliance on crops increased, diverse types of collecting activities diminished. So it's a very slow process from, it wasn't just a, a quick decision by a tribe and, oh, we're going to be, uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to be farmers now. We're not going to do any more hunting. It, there was a mix. There was a little bit of foraging, a little bit of domestication, and slowly it shifted towards full uh, agriculture rather than hunting and gathering. The much denser populations of food producers due to agriculture's effects on population that we talked about, how it increases the population density possibly. This enabled them to displace or even kill any hunter-gatherers just by their sheer numbers. So there was also this numbers factor of, okay, the because the agricultural societies are producing uh, more people, they now are a little bit more powerful when they go 
uh, and face the hunter-gatherers and they just kind of wipe them out or the or the hunter-gatherers are forced to adopt their system hunter-gatherers were only able to persist until modern times in areas where extreme geographic or ecological barriers made the immigration of other societies and their agricultural techniques very difficult so let's look at a few examples of hunter-gatherer societies that persisted for a very long time so these are examples of time the only real times when hunter-gatherers were not subsumed by uh by uh, agricultural uh, societies and, and it was very precise reasons why so you look at the american hunter-gatherers in california they were separated by deserts from the native american farmers of arizona so that's the only reason why they couldn't switch to agriculture the khoisan hunter-gatherers at the cape of south africa in a mediterranean climate zone uh, were which was unsuitable for the equatorial crops of nearby Bantu farmers. And then you look at the Australian hunter-gatherers who were separated by narrow seas from the food producers of Indonesia and New Guinea. So the only reasons why uh, any hunter-gatherer societies weren't completely wiped out is because of extreme geographic or ecological barriers. Otherwise, this agricultural revolution just spread throughout the world. Any other peoples who remained hunter-gatherers into the 20th century were not replaced by agricultural societies because they were just confined to areas not fit for food production, uh, especially in deserts and Arctic regions. So otherwise, this revolution spread globally uh, over these thousands of years, these, <laughs> these past 10,000 years. What are the effects? What, what was the legacy of this agricultural revolution? We, we hinted at this, and we're going to close out the episode with this now. Well, the emergence of agricultural, of agriculture, excuse me, is unquestionably one of the most important events in human cultural history. For all of human history, prior to the agricultural revolution, all humans fed themselves by hunting wild animals and gathering wild plants, as we talked about. The introduction of agriculture gave humans an unprecedented control over their food supply. And what did this do? Well, there was the aforementioned sedentism idea. The development of agriculture brought profound changes in the relationship between people and the natural world. Archaeologists have theorized that with the invention of farming, people were now able to settle down and increase the amount and reliability of their food, thus allowing the same land to support more people than by hunting and gathering. And this has allowed our species to multiply throughout the world. This is, this is wild. It's the fact that the agricultural revolution, it really started our, uh, triggered our species to just explode. And after the agricultural revolution, I might throw up a graph if I can find it. I don't think I'll be able to anymore. It was in, I think it was in, uh, it was in one of the books that I used for this episode, but it was just the fact that population density did sharply increase uh, after the after the initiation of agriculture. So the agriculture seemed to have sparked uh, this this rapid multiplication of our species throughout the world um, because now we're able to control the, our food and we don't need to worry about other things. And now we can reproduce more freely and do a lot of things more freely non-specialists, non-food specialists can also exist too. 
the main reason the agricultural revolution was decisive to economic growth uh, is that early farmers were able to generate such a food surplus. Uh, and, and this allowed people to do other things, as we kind of touched on. Not for the first time in history. Not everyone needed to be involved solely in the activity of finding and preparing food. People now had more time to do other things. And some people were at liberty to dedicate themselves entirely to other pursuits. And look how many people do that now. We have some people spend no time, uh, let, al let alone, uh, or some people spend no time even cooking, let alone having to hunt and, and get their animals uh, to eat themselves. So it opens up these intellectual domains. This is the, what the agricultural revolution seemed to do. New skilled professions became born immediately, like tool making, milling, pottery, weaving, carpentry, just to name a few. The increased labor productivity associated with the agricultural uh, revolution allowed a more intensive division of labor. With excess food and newly created specialist crafts, societies had a greater capacity to produce goods that, value, that were of value to others. Thus, the agricultural revolution gave rise to accelerated technological progress compared to the progress that was being uh, made in the hunter-gatherer societies. The agricultural revolution made it possible for the first time in human history to create a non-food producing sector. The presence of, of non-food specialists, the craftsmen, the chiefs, the bureaucrats, the scientists, the priests, these enabled and even demanded innovations in, in things. Uh, all of these things and, and skills that started because of the innovations from the non-food specialists, people had time to put their uh, focus into different things and invent things. And this triggered the industrial revolution and the accumulation of wealth and ultimately civilization. Today we see it all around us. We see the mechanized and the industrialized systems of farming that sustain such high densities of populations and a global economy. And, and, and these farmers, what they produce, and uh, they, they produce food for the world. And it sustains billions and billions of people now, whereas it used to be uh, less than even millions. And, and humans almost even went extinct at a certain point. But it has been... Uh, these farmers are sustaining the world and allowing the world to uh, pursue different things. And it creates non-food specialists and civilization got created uh, starting with the agricultural revolution, really. Uh, now, even at the same time, though, it, it is kind of paradoxical because it does actually, at the same time, this factory farming, it does threaten uh, the sustainability of our planet in an unprecedented way. There's no doubt about that. But the Olympian heights of civilizations, past and present, would not be possible without the agricultural revolution. Thank you guys for <laughs> listening to this episode. Um, most complex one yet, I can say that. Uh, perhaps not the best one. There was a point when every newest one I was feeling like was the best one. And um, I do kind of still feel that way as, as I'm getting a little more refined with, with, uh, 
with my research and with my delivery, but uh, this was certainly the most complex one, so we can label it with that. We might continue with some uh, some revolutions here, like industrial revolution, and I kind of talked about how the agricultural revolution, without it, the industrial revolution could never ha have happened, so... Uh, Maybe we'll do some revolutions in the coming weeks. I don't know what it's going to be, but it'll be back next Monday as always. Um, if you like this episode or if you've been liking the podcast, just share it with one person. Share this episode. Um, we're growing a community through word of mouth, so uh, just share it with somebody. But either way, listening and watching is always planning whatever you guys do. Can't thank you guys enough uh, for tuning into the Insightful Thinkers podcast. Every week, we'll be back next Monday, as always, for more in-depth analysis into a diverse set of topics. Take care, everybody. This podcast is a production of Insightful Thinkers Media.